All right, if you would, turn with me to the third chapter of the book of John, about two-thirds of the way through the Bible, Gospel of John, chapter 3. We're going to start there. We're actually going to back up just a little bit in just a few minutes to, to pick up how John introduced Nicodemus. But, <coughs> well, Danny, it seems like I'm going to do that every week. Sorry about that. Uh, but in order to understand what we're going to read in the third chapter, particularly in the 14th verse, we've got to know something about the Old Testament again. I hope you all are seeing a little something here that, that, that they knew the Old Testament, that Jesus knew the Old Testament, and that all this fulfillment of Scripture is happening, and, and they draw back and forth, and we have to know what we're talking about. So I'm going to tell you the story. It's from Numbers chapter 21, and it's a pretty cool story. I'm not going to read it, just going to tell you the story. The Hebrew children are wandering in the desert. You know, they've escaped from Egypt and they've, they've gone to the promised land. Now they're rejected. Now they're coming. They're just wandering around in the wilderness. And they passed a city by the name of Arad. Uh, A-R-A-D. It may be Arad something. That's how I pronounce it. It's Arad. It just sort of sounds familiar. And they're in they're, this city is in the desert and they have a king over this city. And as they're getting close, the king decides that it'd probably be a good idea to attack these folks, maybe to give them a little idea that they need to go away and leave us alone. So they attack the folks, attack the Hebrews, and they take a few of them captive. And the Hebrews didn't particularly care for that. And I don't know how they decide how they're going to make war or what, but they pray before they went into battle. And in the prayer to God, they said, if you indeed deliver this people into my hand, I'll wipe these heathens from the face of this planet and destroy all their cities. Sounds like a pretty interesting prayer. If you will deliver them to us, we will destroy every one of them. There'll be nothing left living where that city was. And so they went out to battle, and God delivered them, and they did wipe all those heathen off the face of the planet. And can you imagine how they felt? They walked off the field. Yeah, we are God's chosen. We got this thing. Don't mess with us. We'll kick your keister. Stay away. We're bad. But y'all know like I do how these things operate is you have this great moment of everything's wonderful, and then it just fades away. And, 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 it, and it happens every time. It's just the way we operate. We have our high moment, and then we, down we go again. And they're wandering through the wilderness now. This, they've, they've beat this king, and they're walking along through the woods. Actually, it wasn't the woods. It's wilderness. The Bible says they were in the Negev. Negev is a desert that's considerably south of Jerusalem. I went and looked the pictures up on Google. You don't want to walk through there. It's just barren. There's nothing green. There's big, high, sharp mountains. There's deep valleys. There are places of just lots and lots of sand. There's no water. There are no animals out there for food. There's no place to plant a garden. It's a horrible place to be. And all they had to eat was what they had, and what they had was manna. Now, for those of you who may not remember, manna is what God delivered to them in the wilderness so they'd have something to eat. In the morning, they'd get up, and there'd be this coating of what looked like frost, and they would collect enough for that day, and they'd use it to make food or make bread out of, and that's what they ate every day, miraculously delivered from the hand of God. And we look at those folks, and we think, wow, you know, they're an ungrateful bunch of people. But uh, have you ever lived by yourself, or maybe it's just you and your wife living at home, and on, uh, let's say, on Sunday, you cook a big pan of lasagna, and then on Monday, you have leftover lasagna. 
And then on Tuesday, you have leftover lasagna. And then on Wednesday, and by Wednesday, you're going, you know what? One of us is going to have to do something. Because it was good the first day. It was okay the second day. It's not so good anymore. That's what these people did. They're just like us. There's no difference. And they did just like us. Because we're good at it. One of the things that we are better at than anything else in the world is grumbling. Right? If there was a gold meddling in grumbling, we'd all get a gold. Because we know how to grumble. They knew how to grumble. And so they started grumbling against Moses and against God. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? Now, they had just whooped Arad and the king and all those people. And here they are going, why would you bring us up to die in the wilderness? Well, if we're going to die in the wilderness, they would have got us. So that they're not even thinking straight. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no food and no water. And we loathe this miserable food. And God's response to them was what my daddy said to, to me when I was a little boy. I'd get in trouble and he'd spank me and I'd cry. And then when he decided that I'd cried long enough, he'd say, keep crying, boy, and I'll give you something to cry about. Right? Anybody remember that one? I tried not to use that on my kids. I tried real hard. That's, I think that's sort of kind of the thrust of what God said here. He said, listen, that's not a problem. I'll give you something to grumble about. And you know what he sent to them? Snakes. I, just, I, I get goosebumps up here when I say it. I hate snakes. And if you go to the New American Standard Version, it says that they were fiery serpents. And there was a reason that they were called fiery serpents. is because when they bit you, the place where they bit you immediately got very, very inflamed. It got very, very feverish. And as the venom spread throughout your body, your body got real hot until you died. It was a fiery serpent. Bet you don't grumble about the food anymore. <laughs> food's the least of your worries now you got these snakes and the people realized <clears throat> and the people realized that the reason these snakes suddenly came on the scene is because they had grumbled against God that they were ungrateful and that God didn't take that very well so they went to Moses and they said, Moses, you need to pray Moses, you need to pray to God intercede on our behalf and asked God to remove these snakes, but God didn't remove the snakes. He left the snakes there. But instead, what God did is he told Moses, make a bronze servant and hoist it up on a flagpole. And you tell these people that when they get bitten, if you'll look at this servant, you'll, serpent, you'll live. Verse 9, chapter 21 says, and Moses made a bronze serpent. And set it up on the standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, let's look at this real quick. First off, God did not remove them from their circumstances. He said, you made your bed, you're going to lie in it. That's just the way this thing's going to operate, but I'm going to give you a way to live in your circumstances. I'm going to give you a way to live. No magic in that, in that uh, bronze serpent up on the flagpole. There's no magic there at all. The power in that was the people were obedient to God. He said, if you'll look at this serpent raised up on this flagpole, on this standard, if you'll look, you'll live. So 
if they were obedient to God and they went and looked on the serpent after they had been bitten by a snake and they trusted that what God said he would do, he would do, then they would live. And it was just that simple. Now, you know what I can imagine? Bible doesn't say this. This is just Randy imagining. But I imagine there were some Baptists in that crowd. Some good old crotchety Baptists that said, listen, Moses got us in this mess in the first place, and I'm not going to do what Moses said. And they got bit by the snakes, and they sat there, and they said, I'm not going to go out. And their families were weeping and crying and saying, Daddy, just go look at the snake. Daddy, just go look at the snake. And there were people that refused to do it. I, I would imagine because that's human nature. But God said everybody that would be obedient, everybody that would be obedient, that they looked on that snake and trusted that God is faithful and expected God to do what he said he would do, those would live. And that's the story from Numbers 21. You ought to go home and read it. It's a cool story. Now we get to John. Last week we read about how John, uh, Jesus cleansed the temple. Y'all remember all that? How he cleansed the temple, whipped the cords, ran everybody out. And at the end of, end of chapter 2, you hear this, these words. It says, while he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many people believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all and because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in a man. Jesus knew that what they believed about him and what he knew he was were two different things. What they believed about him is that he was going to come in and he was going to make Israel great again. Same idea that we got going on right now. That's what they thought Jesus was going to do. He's going to come in and make Israel great again. We're going to become a great nation. We're going to be free of Roman bondage. He is the man and he's going to do this. And Jesus is going, that's not me. So he wouldn't entrust himself to them. They were all in the midst of this Jesus mania. He's the man. And Jesus says, no, no, I'm going somewhere else because I know what is in your heart and I know how you operate. But that phrase, John is setting us up here. That phrase, for Jesus himself, for he himself knew what was in a man, the very next sentence was, there was a man. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. John's setting us up. He says, Jesus knows what's in a man. There was a man. Pay attention, John's saying. There's something different here that you all need to know, you all need to understand. Pay attention. That's the way this is written. And Nicodemus greets Jesus with respect, and he says to Jesus, we know. Did y'all catch that? We know. That means he's been talking to somebody, and that I don't believe he means the entire Pharisees because there were a lot of Pharisees that wanted to see Jesus dead already. What, what he's saying is, is that there's a group of us that's been talking and we've watched you, Jesus, and we know that you cannot do what you're doing without God being all over you. There's something different about you. And then he stops talking and he leaves this question just sort of floating out in the air. Who are you? Why are you different? What, who, who are you? And Jesus replies very abruptly. He says, truly I tell you, 
Unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Guys, I, I, I hope what I'm feeling is wrong. This, this I'm telling you, I'll, this made me feel so good after I went back and read it and listened in it. I don't want you to turn off because you've heard this a thousand times. We must be born again. You've heard it. I don't need it anymore. Don't do that to me. Don't do that to yourself. Do not turn yourself off this morning having heard this a thousand times because I'm telling you there's something hidden in here that we need to know and we need to understand. We have got to know Jesus. And we walk around and live our lives and we see him all around us and we don't notice him because we've been in church, many of us, for so long or we listen to what church people say and do and we think, no. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a man who thought he knew God. He was a man. And he comes to Jesus going, there's something different about you. What is it? And Jesus says, you've got to be born again. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, buddy, you're on the right track. But there is so much more to being alive than you can even imagine. Your eyes can be opened. There's a little word difference here. The word born again the word again is actually translated in the Bible and a bunch of other places as from above. And either way, either way Nicodemus heard that, it confused him. Must be born again, must be born from above. What, what is that all about? Nicodemus is stuck. There's only one way to be born. Mama gets pregnant, she has a baby, you're born. That's how this thing operates. Have y'all ever gotten stuck in something? I may have told y'all that several months ago I had to, to replace an electrical outlet uh, at the house I have done that my daddy took electrical electrical courses electrician he knew how to do all this stuff I've done it a million times could do it with my eyes closed there's nothing to replacing an electrical outlet you take a few wires out you put a few wires in and there you are it's done I sat in the hot sun for over three hours and could not make that thing work for nothing. That was the biggest heifer I have ever dealt with. Those wires wouldn't fit. They wouldn't bend. They wouldn't trim. Nothing would fit together. I was ready to scream. And God very mercifully sent a thunderstorm along where I had to pack up all of my tools and put everything away. And I went into the house, and we had supper, and I sat down on the sofa. And when I sat down on the sofa, the minute my rear end hit that seat, I went, that's what I should have done. Because, see, in the middle of this thing, I couldn't think. I had, this is the way it has to be. Nicodemus is sitting here going, this is the way it has to be. There's only one way to be born. This born from above stuff, I don't get it. And Jesus says, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, unless someone is born of the water and Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, born of water, we understand what that means. 
Because we've studied this, and y'all all remember it, and if I gave you a test right now, every one of you would get it exactly right. We talked about John's baptism. John's baptism was in water. It was a baptism of repentance. That means that, that the people that came to John to be baptized understood that they were not right with God. And I want to be. And I think that's all of us. We're not right with God, and we want to be. So we come to him. Baptism of repentance. Water we understand, but what about the spirit? We're born into God's kingdom through repentance and the spirit. Yes, Nicodemus, you were born once from your mother's womb, just as you said. And once you were born, that allowed you to be born as a little baby and to grow up. And everybody could teach you and you could grow up into a mature man. But Nicodemus, you've got to be born from above so that you can be a spiritual baby and grow as well. Two things got to happen to you, Nicodemus. Now, how does this work? How does this work for us? I got bad news. I can't explain it. I don't know how it works. I don't have a clue. And Jesus says right here that we can't have a clue. He says, he says the wind blows where it pleases and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. I've got a great illustration here, but Hurricane Harvey blew it away. If y'all paid any attention to this hurricane, you know, it's the greatest thing that's happened for the newscasters since Trump got elected. Thank God they've got something else to talk about for just a few minutes. We, we're talking about the hurricane now that's going to be the worst it's ever been, and the apocalypse is coming because of the hurricane. They predicted this hurricane, which is wind, right? It first started as a tropical storm, and they said, well, this tropical storm is going to come on shore, and they're going to have a whole lot of rain. And then they went, oh, wait a minute now, it's forming. It's not a tropical storm anymore. Now it's going to be a hurricane. It'll probably hit shore as a Category 1 or 2. Oh, no, wait, it could be a Category 3. No, it's going to be a Category 4. It's going to hit right here. They missed it by 30 miles. It came on shore. The models say that it might go back out and sea, get strong again, and come back on land, or it might go up, or it might go over. It's the wind. They don't know. They have no clue. We've gotten pretty good at forecasting, but we still don't know where the wind comes from. Is it because a butterfly in Korea flapped its wings and now we're having a hurricane in Georgia? No. In Texas? We don't know. That's what Jesus is saying here. You can't know. The Spirit comes to us don't overthink this thing we come to God in repentance and through his work a work we don't comprehend he makes us born again it happens and Nicodemus looks at him just like we do how, how can this be this doesn't make sense to me I've studied I've been to Sunday school got the pins to prove it I don't understand. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, are you a teacher and you don't get it? Truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. 
If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe those, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one's ascended. Listen to this, this sentence. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Nicodemus, you've got to understand who you're talking to here, dude. You think you're talking to Jesus. But you're talking to the Son of God. And I've seen this. And I know what I'm talking about. Believe me, Nicodemus. It doesn't have to make sense to you. Just believe it. And then he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. What did we say about that snake in the wilderness? What did we say about that? We said that if they got bit by the snake, then then they were to be obedient to God and go look at it. And if they were obedient and they believed that, 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 that God would do what he said he would do, they'd live, right? First thing they had to do is know their snake bit. That's a pretty obvious thing. I think we all know we're snake bit, don't we? You know, that's a cool thing about church. It really is a cool thing about church. Look around the room. Look at all these people in this room. And you got folks that have lots of money, and you have folks that don't have a whole lot of money. You have folks that are important in the community. You've got some folks that just get up and go to work and come home every day. We've got all these folks in here. And the thing that we all have in common is, is there's not a one of us that's right with God. I don't care who you are, where you go, what you've done. Not until Jesus comes into your life. You're not right with God. Every one of us is broken. You can walk around with your nose sticking so high in the air that it scrapes the paint off the ceiling and all you're going to get is dust up your nose because you know what? We are all broken. Each and every last one of us. We're broken. Jesus is saying that he has to be lifted up on a cross and everybody that realizes that they're snake bit that they're not right with God, that they're helpless and dying if they are obedient to God by looking at Jesus in the cross and they trust, listen, they trust that Jesus will do what he said he will do. What did he say he will do? He didn't say he would take you to heaven when you die. He said, I will give you life. I'll teach you how to live right now. And you don't understand how I'm going to do it, and that's okay. But I can do it. Why did he do this? To a bunch of people that don't know how to do anything except grumble really, really good. They're all gold medal grumblists. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John 3.16 is God's answer for everybody who says there's got to be more than this. Have you ever said that? Heavens to Betsy, I'm telling you right now, I sat in an office at AT AT&T and said to myself, after everything went crazy, I have said to myself, there's got to be more than this. And how many times there's got to be to be more than this and God is saying there is 
God gave his one and only son so that everyone who looks on him, trusting in him and expecting life will be born again and will have life. But you've got to hear verse 17. We always stop at 16. 17 says, and this is from the message translation, says, God didn't, listen, listen, God didn't go to all of this trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help. He came to put the world right again. God is not out to get you. He's not out to get you. He knows your life is hard. And he didn't make your life hard. You did it yourself. He created us in his image. He created us free. And in our freedom, we not only decided to be disobedient to him, in our freedom we decided we were going to be him. And we were going to decide what's right and wrong. And we were going to decide what's good and evil. And you can say, Randy, this is all academic stuff. Tell me right now, if you watch television at all, what is good and bad? What's evil and what's not? An elementary school child got in trouble the other day because she called a transgender student by the wrong pronoun. He's thinks he's a she, and she was being friendly to him who's a her, and used the wrong pronoun, and got sent to the principal's office. What's right and wrong? We decided we were God. And in your own life, it doesn't have to be that extreme. In our own lives, how many times have we sat set at our houses and puzzled over what is the right thing to do? Anybody feel like you've done the best you could do all your life and you never seem to be able to catch a break? No matter how hard you try? It always turns into mess. Anybody ever feel like every relationship that you've ever been in always ends up lonely? I can never quite get it right. Anybody feel like you're struggling all the time that you never get ahead? And worse, you're never going to. The only thing that's going to make life easier is to die. And then I don't have to worry about it anymore. God did not come in the middle of that difficulty to make your life harder. He didn't. He isn't mad at you. He came to make the world right again, to make it possible for you to be born of the Spirit so you can walk with God every day and you don't have to decide right and wrong anymore. You've got the truth walking with you and now you know. That's what he wants to do. Now this is the sappiest illustration on the face of the planet. I wish I could do better, but I can't because this happened to me this week and it's the coolest thing that has ever happened in the natural world to me. I got to see the eclipse. Now that was on Monday. It feels like a lifetime since Monday. 
I mean, it seems I got to thinking about it, and I thought, that was just a few days ago. But I drove up to Toccoa, Georgia, to the Georgia Baptist Convention Center, and I paid $10 and ate their hot dog and their hamburger and sat out in their yard in, 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 a, in a lawn chair, and I watched with my fancy uh, eclipse glasses on, and I watched this thing happen. I've wanted to do that all my life. I grew up a space nut. You know, I was alive when the first man went into space. Yeah. And I've always loved this stuff. And I've always seen it on television. And I've always seen the, you know, it's all. I wanted to see it with my own two eyes. And God gave me the opportunity. And I went to Tekoa and I sat in my chair and I watched until the, until the moon moved right in front of the sun. And for a second, I couldn't figure out what happened because I couldn't see anything anymore. And then realized I had those ridiculous glasses on. Take them off. And I took the glasses off and I looked up. And I'm telling you, that was the most beautiful thing I have ever seen in my life. It was crazy. You could, see, you could see the corona. You could see the solar winds shooting out from the sun. And I was so enamored by that sight, I forgot to look for planets. I forgot to look for stars. I forgot to look at the ground to see the eclipse showing up on the ground. All I could do was stare for just about two minutes at that beautiful. It was incredible. It was just incredible. And then after about two minutes... The moon moved just enough that in the upper right-hand corner, this little, I'm telling you, it was a pinpoint of light. But when that pinpoint of sun came around the corner, it was pow. I mean, and, and, and you could only see it for a second because it got so bright so fast that the glasses had to go back on. But for just that split second, it was pow. I'm I wish I could, if there's some way I could show you that. It was, and the first thing that I thought to myself was, whoa, this is crazy. And the second thing I thought, and you're going to say this is because you're a preacher, and it's not. It's because I've been born again. The second thing I thought is that's Jesus. Because when he first comes come came into my life there was this little light that went, and I don't know how he got here all I know all I know is that I stood before him and said I am not right with you but I sure do want to be and, he was there and the older I get and the more I study that light in me gets brighter and brighter and brighter and I see more and more of how to live life and I'm not nearly you might think I am but I'm really not I'm not nearly as 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 fleshly as I was years and years and years ago I don't have a temper like I had a thousand years ago I don't get as upset as I got a thousand years ago I actually will sit down and think now for a minute or two I do get very aggravated if somebody tries to take my few minutes of quiet time away because the light's getting brighter. And one of these days, I believe the light is going to be bright. It's going to consume me. It's going to take me home. 
and I ain't worried about going to heaven. Heaven's a fringe benefit. It's the match on the 401k. It's the paid insurance. That's all heaven is. What's cool is the fact that the light lives in me. That's what's cool. I'm telling you, we are born from above. We have new eyes to see. We have a new heart to love with. I can be mean and hateful and untrusting, and I can be everybody's doormat, and it seems that I have a way of making everybody mad, and I don't have the answers because if I did, I would have changed a whole long time ago, but I know who has the answers, and he's growing in me brighter all the time. You can be forgiven of everything you're ashamed of, you can be forgiven of every regret that you have. You can be forgiven of everything in your life, in your past. And if you look at Jesus on the cross, trusting that he will do what he says, not that he will take you to heaven when you die, but trusting that, he will give you life. He will change your life. He'll change your heart. You'll be born again. You'll be different. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, sort of a different prayer, I guess. Have you ever looked at Jesus hanging on the cross and said, I'm not right with God? Have you ever looked at Jesus hanging on the cross and said, I'm broken? I'm not right. And you said, if I would trust you, that you would fix me. Jesus, I want to feel alive, and I don't. But you said you'd make me alive. Lord, I know me. I can be so hard to get along with. And sometimes I'm the person that everybody pummels. And sometimes all the people that I love, I seem to turn them off. And sometimes I attract the wrong people. And I don't have answers because if I did, I'd have changed this a long time ago. But you tell me, Lord, that you have the answers. You tell me that I can be forgiven of everything. You tell me that I can have a new past and a new future. And if I trust you, you will make me be born from above. And you can show me what life is really all about. I know you are God. I know you designed this life, and I've not lived it like you designed it, or things would be different. It's just that simple. And I'm sorry, Jesus. Please forgive me for not living up to what you wanted me to be from the very beginning. Forgive me. Make my heart born from above and teach me to live like you want to live.
you want me to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to ask you to do something for me. I want, for the next few minutes, I want to ask you to be still. Anything that you've got waiting on you can wait for just a couple more minutes. It'll be all right. If you prayed a prayer this morning asking Jesus to save you, I invite you to come down in just a moment to tell me that. You can always join First Baptist by coming down and telling me. If you feel tugging in your heart to pray differently than you've ever prayed, come to the altar and pray. But for the next few minutes, I want us all to experience Jesus for just a minute. Those of you that have been in Sunday school all your lives and church all your lives, it's hardest for you because we're like Nicodemus. We got the answers. But we don't have the answers. He has the answers. We need to hear his voice. So for the next few moments, we're going to sing, respond as Jesus calls you to do. Won't you stand?